Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast from the LPRC and uh, uh, our weekly update series. And uh, here we are on uh, Tuesday, uh, October 24th, 2023. And um, getting ready to go over, we've got uh, one of our one of our many members, just about 90 retail corporations, and we're continually growing here at the LPRC part. Um, and uh, we're excited about all this. One thing that we spent some time last week and this week, our team working on, and I've mentioned this before, uh, we're working to better affect decisions that the and the choices and the outcomes by offenders, criminal offenders, uh, or crews of offenders. Uh, working on detect, of course, earlier and more definitive detection of offenders, their behaviors, their choices, uh, their movement through place and time, the harm, and so on. Um, and of course, connect. How do we better connect uh, retailers and law enforcement and others uh, strategically uh, for clear planning and targeting uh, and so on for more precise and definitive action, better outcomes, better impact. Uh, so what we're doing now is um, spending a lot of time on detect and with the tragedy unfolding there in Israel and what we're learning about um, the slaughter there, if you will, was what went right and what went wrong. We do know that uh, evidently uh, the country, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, the intelligence mechanisms that they've got, uh, Shin Bet and Mossad and the Army Intelligence and so on, didn't seem to put all the dots together. Uh, we don't know yet what was connected, excuse me, collected, but we know what wasn't connected. So that's been a big emphasis here. And um, we've been talking with OSINT organizations and um, others. Uh, we've got, we're assembling right now an advisory panel of threat detection and assessment uh, individuals at major retail corporations, those that have have detected, those that have not yet, uh, as well as law enforcement. And of course, some of the companies or the organizations, many, many of them that have former uh, federal law enforcement or intelligence backgrounds to help advise on what we're doing there from an R&D standpoint. But one thing we're looking at is, you know, sort of the, the good and the bad. And the breakdown part is, why wasn't something known or it wasn't known uh, well enough or in time? And uh, the idea is, you know, something, there was a cue or a series of cues uh, that were not picked up on maybe. Didn't have the right sensors, didn't realize those cues were significant or could be, uh, so we didn't know. Maybe they didn't have AI models that would have uh, enabled with all the noise to come through all the noise and find some of that. Uh, that's important. Um, or maybe the cue was there, uh, and, and it was picked up by the sensors or more than one sensor um, or different mode of sensor, uh, but the analysts or analyst missed it. Um, or it was detected, uh, it was noted, but it was misinterpreted. You know, that's something we're looking at too. Um, it was detected uh, and noted, but maybe it was underweighted. Okay, well, that's not that important of a cue or clue. Um, and uh, or it was overweight, another, excuse me, another cue or signal, maybe that was overweighted and that that seemed more significant and it maybe seemed to counter what the initial cue might have been, right? That this person is doing this or that group is doing that, acquiring, um, recruiting, scouting, things like that. Um, or 
uh, it was all the above were actually done, but it was dismissed, maybe by the analysts, maybe by somebody that reported it to, or it didn't make it up the chain. It got put aside, something else took over and so on. So we're trying to look at those chains of events and understand, better understand uh, how to overcome those in the first place. So we're very methodically and carefully looking at all the physical, the digital and aural uh, things that we might pick up on by an offender uh, online uh, in the area where they they live and move their activity or behavioral space. Um, what might be important? What are coming together? What does that mean? Um, what are the things that we can do again online in the community, working with partners, working with law enforcement? Maybe one retailer picks up this, another that, uh, and so forth to create much safer environments, places, and spaces. So that's just a little bit about what we're up to on the D-Text and buy on all that. But in our uh, field initiatives, you'll see all this R&D going on there in addition to our labs. Um, we've had some great conversations with o OSINT uh, organizations or providers, solution partners. Um, very good, very productive. Uh, so we're excited about the opportunity to meld that in, to integrate this technology, these practices, um, and this type of problem solving in with uh, the entire integration chains that we're putting together uh, for reducing theft fraud and violence. So um, I also wanted to let everybody know it was a great conference out at International Association Chiefs of Police. A lot of engagement. Thank you, Axon Taser, for making this trip available and, and creating this opportunity. Uh, that allowed me also to have some of the conversations I'm talking about with OSINT and others around DETECT, uh, as well as Affect and Connect. Um, and then also the opportunity to speak for Chain Store Age, um, a great brand, a great magazine, a great organization at their expects uh, where it was really neat working with all the architects and uh, building designers and planners uh, and so on, the construction people that put together the parking areas and the stores and so on for the retailers and talking about SEPTED, crime prevention through environmental design, working through the concepts uh, so they might better apply things because the good news is it's best to build in these types of territoriality and natural and uh, informal and formal surveillance and things like that. But you can retrofit. We can make places and people a lot safer just by curb cuts and things like that. Parking lot design by uh, entry exit or permeability of the buildings themselves. And of course, sight lines and all these things inside. So I appreciate that opportunity. Um, what I'm going to do is I've got to run to some meetings and with no further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio and then we've got Tom Meehan and I want to thank Diego, our producer. Tony, if you would, take it away. Thank you very much, Reed, and uh, really exciting to see all the progress that loss, the Loss Prevention Research Council is making across multiple uh, and great to see on NBC this morning. I saw the post on uh, Twitter, so keep up the great work. But let me start this week with a summary from an article from the Local 10 News in Miami. According to their reporting, the Miami-Dade Police Department held a news conference Monday afternoon to announce arrests made in connection to an organized retail uh, theft ring that detectives said, and are you ready for this, caused over $20 million in losses to the retail industry this year. Police said the nine-month RICO investigation involved the police department organized retail crime squad and various law enforcement partners. According to the investigators, 
They've identified over 87 serial boosters, which led to a first and a second tier. A news release from the Miami uh, Police Department said, as of January 23, to the present, the first tier subject had been paid about $1.2 million during the same time frame. The second tier subjects have, been, have produced approximately $5 million by selling the stolen goods on an online retailer. According to the police, the criminal investigation was operating in different capacity throughout several counties within South Florida, including Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach. It was well-organized. It was profitable. It is criminal, said the Florida, Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody. This is the modern-day mafia. Suspect in one group would just steal the items. They were the professional shoplifters taking everything from security system to eye drops. A group two crooks would rebarcode and catalog the goods, and in and those in group three would prepare the goods for resale, selling everything online and making it all look legitimate. Police said some of those several retail victims allegedly targeted by the groups were Walgreens, CVS, Walmart. Publix, Winn-Dixie, Fresco y Mas, Navarro, Home Depot, Lowe's, Dick's Sporting Goods, Target, Samatch, Best Buy, Harbor Freight, The Fiddle Shop, The Guitar Center, Golf, Ga Golf Galaxy, Macy's, BJ's, Costco, various pool supply stores, and some small music business. So for all that hype about this stuff isn't real, $20 million worth of goods being stolen in Miami is a, is a real number. So it's amazing stories. But let me switch to some better news. And this time we're going to go to some predictions for the retail holiday season from the International Council of uh, Shopping Centers, or ICSC. As and as reported by Retail Dive, despite inflation woes, eight, eight in 10 shoppers expect their holiday shopping budget to either remain the same or increase from last year, according to a new survey of a thousand plus consumers by the ICSC. The proportion is slightly higher than the 70% of consumers said the same last year. The ISC predicts that 87% of consumers will shop at brick and mortar stores this holiday season, and three quarters uh, plan to buy their holiday goods online. The organization forecasts a 3.8% increase in retail sales during October through December. 17% of consumers anticipate buying online and picking up in store. Among consumers who are shopping in stores and online, respondents said they plan to spend 41% of the holiday budgets in physical stores and 42% online, the survey found. So holiday season looks like we're still shopping which is good news for retail. And let me end this week actually with one of my favorite uh, story. It's actually from the Wall Street Journal. And it's actually titled, Amazon confronts a new rival, TikTok. TikTok made its name for itself in the US as a viral video sharing sensation. Now it's trying to get its 150 million US users to think about it as a shopping destination. Amazon, meanwhile, is trying to, uh, new tactics to maintain its dominance in e-commerce. It has added uh, social elements to its app to entice younger shoppers. 
and it is building a network of influencers who, who hawk items on and off its website. As a result, the two companies are on a collision course as divided for the position in a huge market. Researchers at Insider Intelligence estimate social e-commerce will grow into a $100 billion market by 2025, up from $67 billion this year. To succeed, each company will need to copy the elements of the other success. TikTok is owned by Beijing's uh, China ByteDance, once consumers who trusted it as a safe and reliable place to buy products, the way they already trust Amazon. And Amazon is trying to persuade users to hang out on its app like they do on all those other social media services. TikTok launched its shopping feature called TikTok Shop last month and is currently selling about $7 million worth of products like two uh, hairbrushes, teeth winding tools, and fall team sweatshirts with leaves and pumpings every day in the U.S. And it has a goal of $10 million a day by the end of the year, according to uh, individuals familiar with the matter. Amazon Global Online Store Sales, a measure of the products Amazon sells directly, was roughly $603 million a day, a day last year, $603 million a day last year. TikTok is spending heavily on building a logistics operation, poaching Amazon employees, and trying to lure third-party sellers by offering them a bigger cut of sales than Amazon, according to sellers. More than 60% of Amazon retail sales come from third-party sellers. So it looks like Amazon is getting um, a new competitor online in the social media world. I'm actually running a survey on this on LinkedIn. Who's going to win the uh, social media wars using video? Because I do think video will play a bigger role in retail going forward. So, And I actually picked three. Is it going to be Amazon? Is it going to be Instagram or Facebook? And they're, they're owned by the same company, uh, Meta. Or is it going to be TikTok? So it'll be interesting to watch. And finally, let me say that uh, this week, I'm actually headed to this afternoon to Washington, D.C. I'm joining a whole bunch of retailers at Retail Crime Day. We're meeting at the NRF on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we're actually going to Capitol Hill to meet with a whole bunch of lawmakers as a joint group to help uh, really attack retail crime more from a legislation point of view. I'm looking forward to this to meet with uh, congressmen and senators to get their thoughts in terms of how we move some of this legislation, which, again, that first story that I talked about in terms of organized retail crime, it's real and we need, do need better law. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Thank you, Tony, and thank you, Reed. Uh, somewhat of a brief update today uh, as I'm traveling and uh, I think that a lot of these updates will be repetitive. I'll start with a couple bulletins that have gone out. I think it's important to note with these bulletins that these are uh, some of these are unconfirmed. So the first one which has circulated throughout um, the internet and it does look like a somewhat official document, but it is still unconfirmed as an internal customs and border protection document. Um, the Daily Kohler News Foundation has released it 
and it is a bulletin advising Customs and Border Patrol agents to be aware of unconfirmed reports of Islamic or Muslim-backed terrorists trying to gain access from to the United States from southern borders. There have been a host of these type of bulletins that have been released or information in the last uh, 7 to 10 days. Uh, this one is, in fact, does, in fact, have a, an image of a document that, again, while I would say is unconfirmed, does, in fact, look real, as well as I think we shared on the last podcast, the one before, that there was an FBI memo that said that there should be a heightened level of awareness for uh, t- domestic terror types events, uh, either by lone wolf or uh, individual actors. I think uh, with the current situation, it's really important to stay vigilant. The U.S. State Department issued an, a warning uh, for U.S. travelers traveling to foreign destinations. Uh, this warning was a general warning, but it was to be cautious in crowded areas and in certain regions rethink your travel. Uh, a warning like that is interesting because it was extremely broad and um, basically uh, stated that to be very, very vigilant in tourist areas uh, and large crowds. Uh, that was a, an official warning from the U.S. State Department for foreign, for U.S. travelers traveling to um foreign destinations with heightened level awareness. Uh, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, actually, when I was taping it, I was actually in the Middle East. And what I would say is that um, the conditions were relatively um, normal from a standpoint of the folks that I was speaking to. Um, You know, one gentleman said, you know, you always have to be on a heightened alert, you know, uh, when you're in these areas and that the some of these things have been occurring for a long time and what he was referring to was the level of alert warning that that he was seeing and the safety precautions that could be in play so i think we'll continue to talk about this on the podcast but um without the risk of being super repetitive we i think we we will continue to say um, that it's very, very important for all of us to be aware uh, and do the very best we can to stay safe. And uh, the the way that I would say we want to really stay safe is by being vigilant and sharing information and uh, being cognizant of the situations around you. Um, I don't want to uh, be too repetitive here, so I'm going to move on to the next thing, which is Facebook's parent company, Meta, Um has been challenged by 42 attorney generals uh, for not safeguarding children. So the, the Child Safety Act, which basically impi- implies that anybody under 13 uh, cannot access certain things on the internet without a parent or guardian's approval. There's a couple challenges with that. Age verification is very difficult um, to do for anybody. Uh, that's one challenge. And then uh, the other piece here was... Um, Facebook has said they've put a lot of safeguards and Instagram, I say Facebook and Instagram, I should say Meta, has said that they've put a lot of um, checks and balances in place to do to help uh, control some of the challenges. Uh, We'll probably recall a few years back, probably two years ago, there was a whistleblower who worked on 
Facebook's uh, safety team and said that Facebook was aware of how the algorithm was negatively impacting some um, children. And this was in a direct response to that. And um, this is unprecedented because it is very rare. And actually, I don't know of any case where 42 state attorney generals get together um, and challenge anything. So this is a, a, a very interesting place for Meta to be in. And I think it could reshape some of the safety, um, uh, some of the safety or and or uh, legislation around child safety on uh, related to the internet. There are two states today that have um, taken state laws to enforce age verification, and in some of those situations, what we see is companies essentially, um, for lack of better words, just putting. Um, age verification, which causes, which in some cases causes content to not be accessible. Um, it, uh, it was thought in the past that this only had to do with adult content, but it actually doesn't um, in this case. I think it's really, really important um, to keep in mind that this is not a, an uncomplicated matter. It is a very complicated matter. The, the 41 states and 42 AGs states claiming that Instagram and Facebook intentionally caused minors to be addicted to it. So again, this is a tough one. You know, you, when you talk about all of the things that we're faced with day in and day out, um, how do you prove, how do you prove that, um, they have some information and what does that mean? Uh, I am, a, a as everybody probably knows, a, a, a avid social media user. I'm also someone that, um, uh, in my free time, spends a lot of time in education of young fo- younger folks on the internet. I have two young children myself, and what some of the dangers are here. I think we're going to see um, some some very very interesting uh, things that come out of this related to basically uh, you know how the future for online safety for children is. So I think. Um, this is definitely something we should stay tuned to, and I think that we'll have a lot of updates in the next six to eight weeks um, related to this. Um, I don't think or know uh, that uh, you know what the outcome will be, and I'm not uh, prepared to make any type of predictions, but what I'm hoping is that it will have a positive outcome for children. Uh, I think it will as well. And then uh, switching gears a little bit, and this is coming to be the last story, uh, you know, air travel is always challenging, but there was a a plane that was uh, in between DC and San Francisco, and there was a, a pilot in the jump seat. Uh, so those of you who travel a lot are probably familiar with occasionally seeing a flight attendant or a, a airline uh, personnel in a jump seat who generally what that is, is you know, they, they're getting on that flight to try to get home and they're utilizing the, their ability to use <clears throat> um, the jump seat, which is the seat that the flight attendants are in. Well, there was a pilot on a plane um, who tried to access the cockpit um, and disable the engines. He was charged with 83 uh, counts of attempted murder, but they, the really uh, concerning thing here is that this is a pilot, so... Um, as we probably all suspect that this wouldn't necessarily be what you expect when you're on a plane. 
He was subdued rather quickly without incident, according to the reports. Um, and uh, it, it kind of serves as a stark reminder of some of the uh, the inherent dangers of air travel and, and what's going on these days uh, with some of the global events really poses a significant challenge of, you know, knowing who is the bad actor or the good actor. Uh, this this uh, was a great uh, example of what I would say was as positive as a result th- that you could get out of a situation like this, where what you what we heard was that he was subdued and he was prosecuted. But I think it's very, very uh, important to state that we are in, in, in a heightened sense of aware, you know, of awareness with uh, the unfortunate events occurring all over the world. And this just exasperates some of that. Um, so we'll, we'll continue to report on those things. I'm going to wrap up with just a, a reminder for everybody to please... Um, if you're not already, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not already involved in the Fusion Net, uh, which is the LPRC's um, portal, if you will, to help uh, engage in uh, interactive content around uh, um, um, major events throughout the U.S. and the world, weather events, civil disturbance, um, other things that active shooters um, other things that are occurring, uh, unfortunately, on a, a much more regular basis, I would encourage you to to go ahead and get involved. Uh, there is no cost to members. Uh, if you're a retail member or a law enforcement member, it's, it's fairly easy to get involved. And it is a place where um, individuals can collaborate and share real-time intelligence during an, an, an active event. And this is uh, obviously, something um, that I've been he- heavily involved in f- since the beginning of the Fusion Net, and it is a, a place where individuals can openly share um, some of the events that are occurring in real time and trade intel and try to validate and verify what is occurring. So, um, can't stress enough the importance of if you're listening to this podcast and a member to be involved. It's very, very easy. You sign up, you can get alerts and see what's going on and exchange information. And it really is for the better of the loss prevention community. As we all know, when there, we do have a uh, civil disturbance, a weather event, or uh, an unfortunate active shooting event, it isn't uncommon that um, you have misinformation being spread through social media or the news uh, during these events, it, it's terribly challenging to get information out and control information. And I'm not a lot of times with misinformation, as I'm sure uh, most of the listeners are aware. Misinformation is not about someone intentionally spreading misinformation and more someone getting information and passing it along. I always equate information on social media to the game of telephone. Um, and why do I say that is uh, one person shares information with another, and by the time it gets back um, to somebody, uh, there are a lot of times that that information, unfortunately, is inaccurate. So with that, I will turn it back over. Thank you, Reed, and thank you, Tom, for those excellent updates. A really great week, once again, uh, of things happening at the Loss Prevention Research uh, Council and in the industry in general. I'm looking forward to Retail Crime Week in Washington, D.C., and looking forward to telling you all about it here next week. So tune in once again. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more Crime Science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 